Well, I'm really glad everyone could be here for week two of this series we're calling Making Change. Get them on there. There we go. Um, in this series, what we're kind of doing is we're trying to give a holistic look at how we handle our, our financial lives as far as, you know, what does God have to say about the matter? He has plenty to say about so many other things in His Word. He directs us about parenting, about marriage, and this is just another one of the many areas where He gives us godly direction, where there are ways we can live closer to His will or farther away from His will. And in this series, we're looking at four main ideas, one idea every single week of the series. So last week, we looked at the idea that less can actually be more. And if, that, if you missed it and you think, well, that doesn't even make sense. I took even math at like second grade level, Anthony, I know that that's not true. Well, feel free to go to our website and listen to that. Um, today, we're going to be talking about how stress is bad. Uh, next week, we're going to cover giving is good. And the final week of this series, we're going to look at how tomorrow matters. And all of these teachings add up not just to show you um, wise, godly advice. I mean, you can, you can take all the, in a sense, spirituality out of talking about money. In fact, that's normally how we do it. And you can just stick in, you know, the idea, read some of the Proverbs and say, this is how God wants you to do it, do, 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 do. And, you know, you can make it black and white, and it really feels kind of sanitized. But what we want to do in this series is show you that when you obey God's commands for this, there can actually be some real, tangible, spiritual effects in your day-to-day -day life as far as you handle money. Now, um, some of you handle lots of money, some of you handle not as much as you would like, and some of you are still students and you think, this doesn't apply to my small, small pennies that I you know, acquire for my parents to go here and there and whatever. But if you're a student, listen to the stuff in this series because it'll honestly, if you can start doing God's thing out of the gate as you enter adulthood, you're going to be head and shoulders above most of us as we got out into the world. A lot of us learned this stuff, what we felt like was a little too late. Um, but um, I think Dave Ramsey says you start where you are, and that just makes good sense. You might, you might have wished you would have heard it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but you start where you start. And so today what we're going to be talking about is how stress is bad. Now when I say stress... I don't just mean the anxiety and the worry that many of us feel about finances. That's included in all this. We know that we don't want to feel that way. But when I say stress, I want you to think of something that is pushed to the maximum. I mean, you're something that's overloaded and it's stressed almost to the breaking point. That's the kind of stress we're talking about. You see the picture. It's almost like friction. Two things working in opposite directions, and it, there's just no wiggle room. There's no freedom. It just feels like you're tied down, and everything could break at a moment's notice. That's how many people handle finances. They take the amount of money they give, and they just max it out with payments to this, with living a certain way, lifestyle. Um, what was hilarious to me, I say hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's funny if you look at it one way, but it's sad if you look at it another. Um, back in, was it 2007 when we hit that big financial recession? Some of you were like, I was five, who cares? You know, whatever. Anyway, some of us remember that, where there was a big financial dip. Before that, Americans spent way, way more than they made. After that big dip, everyone kind of learned their lesson, and Americans actually started saving money, living beneath their means. And then we get, you know, 10, 11 years away from that last dip, and we're back to doing the same thing. Americans are now living above their means. And, and, and the way we most commonly do that is with debt. And so we're going to talk about debt today. And, and some of you are like, oh, great. That's all I think about is my debt. And I come to church to hear about some freedom from God and some, something amazingly helpful and spiritual. And you just reminded me of all the bills. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Well, 
again, we start where we are, and this is an important thing that God calls us to do. Now, I'll give you a heads up as I get into this, just kind of a spoiler alert. I'm not really pro-debt. Um, you, you, there are a lot of people who say that, yeah, debt's just a normal tool of your financial life. It's just one of the many other things in your arsenal. It's how you manage your finances. It's an everyday part of your life. I'm not necessarily one of those people. But as I said, I want to bring this into the spiritual realm, so that, but that does not mean that if you have debt, I'm going to say, you're a horrible, dirty, rotten sinner. I'm not going to you know, come out there and start smacking people who have debt. I'm not going to f- reach into your purses and wallets and start cutting up your credit cards. Um, I'm not that Dave Ramsey crazy. I do like the guy, but I'm not that crazy about it. But, I mean, I'm not going to call say that you're horrible and disobedient to God. I won't even say that at some point in my life I might not have more debt than I currently do. I'm not saying those things. What I am saying is that God has, has given us guidelines for this, and I just want us to understand them. And so if you come into this thinking, oh, you know, I don't need to hear this stuff. I don't need to listen to this. I know how to handle my money. Don't bother me with this nonsense anymore. And you're going to maybe even think that some of this is unrealistic. I just want to encourage you like I did last week. If you feel a little resistance, just I, I, I'm not here to disarm you. I'm not here to take all your money or anything like that. I just want you to be open to the fact that maybe, maybe God has something to say to you. And maybe there's a better way to live than what we're already living. Because I know the older I get, the dumber I realize I am. I always say, I wish I knew as much as I did when I was 17 because I had all the answers when I was 17. And now, the older I get, I just think, man, I just feel like I am clueless and I want to learn mo- as much as I can from everybody. And, and maybe you're in the same boat. We're all kind of a mess. We've all done wrong things. We've all done things that weren't necessarily even wrong, but maybe just weren't as wise as we could have been. And so we want to open ourselves up. But I am definitely the person who does not believe that debt has to be that regular revolving door that is always present in your life. And I don't know why you'd want it to be, even though that's considered normal. Because I'll tell you a couple things I've never heard anyone say about debt. I've never heard anyone say, whew, I'm so glad we spent that extra six grand on our wedding. I know we'd spent all our cash and so we had to put it on credit cards. But you know what? I think starting out with debt really helped us get our marriage off on the right foot. Never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anybody say... I am so thankful for that never-ending stream of car payments. You know, that bill, it's, ever, it's so dependable. Every month it just comes in. It gives my life stability. It's so, I mean, it, just, it gives me something to depend on every month. I mean, I might forget what day of the month it is, but I know it's the 20th when I get that sucker in the mail or in my inbox. Whoo, I'm so glad I have that car payment. I've never heard anyone say that ever since I got my student loan, my first student loan bill, I feel like a real adult. You know, back when I was in high school and I told mom and dad I'm a grown-up and they said, you're still a kid, but now I got payments. They can't deny it. I'm an adult now. I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anybody say, you know, every night I lay my head on my pillow and I close my eyes and I fold my hands and I thank Jesus for all my debt. I've never, I've never heard anybody say that. Oh, dear Lord, I thank you for that weight of debt. Sometimes it's heavy, but it makes me stronger. Praise you, God, in heaven on high. Never heard those things. And you haven't either. If you've said them. Uh, Good luck. I don't know where to start with you on that, but nobody ever says those things. I'll tell you plenty of things that I have heard people say when it relates to their finances, and uh, I've heard people say, I wish I could travel more. You know, God's made a a beautiful world, and I wish I could see more of it. I wish I could take my kids on awesome trips around our country the way my parents took me, but man, I just, money's so tight, we just can't afford to do that or take the time off work. I've never heard anybody say, uh, I've heard plenty of people say, excuse me, I wish one of us could stay home with the kids, but we need both incomes to cover all of this lifestyle that we have. I've heard plenty of people say, I wish I could give more to things that matter. 
or every now and then someone, I see someone in front of me that has a need and I, could, I wish I could help them. I have such compassion for them, but my hands are tied with how little we have left over. I've heard people say I'm so tired of feeling like it's a struggle every day to get by, not to mention the strain it puts on my marriage or my other relationships. I'm just so tired of feeling like everything is just on the brink of falling apart. I just can't handle the stress of it all. So stress is bad. Financial stress is not a good thing. And often for many of us, it feels like a curse because most of us have probably been in a situation like that where it did. It felt like a curse. Well, curse isn't even actually a strong enough word. And so um, we're going to look at one of the verses that if you've ever heard me preach on debt or really anyone preach on debt, you've heard this verse. It's Proverbs 22, verse 7. Oh, I skipped it. No, nope, we're at, oh, what in the world? Where is it? Boy, I put that one out of place. We'll go back and cover that other stuff in a second. That's my fault. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, I'm glad Solomon used the word slave here, because it, that's an off-putting word, word in our society. But that's kind of how it can feel. I mean, you're chained up. If you have debt and payments, I mean, you're, ch- you're tied to it. There's no getting out of it. I mean, there's ways to get out of it, but it's not easy. I mean, you're stuck. You want to go somewhere. You want to be free of it, but you can't. You're tied to it. Now, let me use an example that I think is going to be uh, maybe a little painful for a, a lot of people. And uh, you saw it, probably saw it as it go by. I'm going to use the example of cars. Cars are one of the most common forms of debt that people have. It's the one that most people feel like, I'm going to have a car loan forever. I'm going to have car debt forever. That's one of the, it's expensive to buy a car. Everybody's got to have debt. There's no way out of that cycle. And it is a cycle. You have a car, you make the payments, you pay off the loan, and then you get the next car. It's kind of an endless cycle. And I just want to, as much as it feels like we're strapped in that, we're tied to that, we're tied in that, that cycle, I want to give you hope that I think most people could actually be free of that. And I do want to explain why cars are such a great example of why uh, debt is bad. Because let me, this is no secret, cars are a terrible thing to buy. There is never a car that goes up in value after you buy it. And I'm not talking like collector cars or, or anything you might use for your work. I'm talking about the thing we use to get from point A to point B, going to work, going to the store. The cars we're going to buy for that, they are never going to make us money. They're never going to go up in value. And, and the worst kind to buy are, are brand new ones because they drop the most. But then we make a bad situation worse by financing it and adding all these extra thousands of dollars on the top of it. By the way, we're going to need self-control. You've already seen that twice, so you already got the cat out of the bag there. So let's just talk. These are average prices, by the way. I tried, I, sometimes I see people give examples like this, and the, the numbers are really blown out to make it really shocking and exaggerated. I tried to Google average normal prices as much as I could. Um, I think these numbers are from 2016, so a couple years old, but still close, okay? The average price of a new car, $34,450. Let's say you buy an average car, you put a down payment of $5,000, so you put, uh, get a loan for 3.93% interest on the rest of it. Aren't you guys having fun in math class today at church? Um, so you buy a $34,000 car, you're, you're actually getting a loan for $29,000-ish at 3.93% interest rate. At the end of five years, as 60 months go by, you will have paid right at, with fees and taxes and everything, about $40,000, give or take. And at that point, the car's value will be right at $14,000 because the average depreciation of a car in five years, is it's going to lose 60% of its value. That's, again, average. So in five years, the car lost over 20 
$1,000 in value. That's a bad idea. Like, that's just a bad investment. And again, we need cars. There are tools to get from point A to point B. Um, but that's just kind of a thing that happens with cars. They lose their value. So it's a bad situation that we're all kind of in a little bit. But then it gets worse because we added over about uh, $5,000 to that $20,000 hit just with the financing and getting the loan out. And so the debt, you, you're already losing money with the, with the new car. And then we like, well, you know what? I'd like to lose it a little more and finance it. And we throw that away. But then you think, well, there's no way to get out of that endless cycle. But it is quite possible to live without car debt. Um, and I know that because we've been doing it a while. Abby and I have bought the last several cars with cash. And I don't say that to be braggy. I just say it because most people think there's no way out of the cycle. You can get out of the cycle. Now, it does look a little different um, than, than rolling off the lot in a new car. But I'll tell you something else. When we don't have payments, we can take that money and we can make a payment, in a sense, to ourselves in our bank account every month. And you might say, well, what's the difference between making a payment on a car to a dealership or a bank than just putting it in your bank account. You're still having to toss that money somewhere. Well, that's okay. That's true. But here's the thing that makes it different and makes it and explains why debt is such a chain, is such a, a slavery-type prison. Um, when, if you've got a, a car payment, let's just say if you've got a car payment and then something unexpected pop up. You ever had something unexpected pop up? Air conditioner blows up, your fridge decides to die, and you got all the food in the freezer and you didn't catch it in time and so you're throwing away $200 worth of meat and everything else on top of buying a new fridge, right? If you've got a car payment and that unexpected thing, you have no choice but to handle both of them. No choice. You're tied to that. Well, if you can be free of this, even if you're putting that money, if, like Abby and I, we're putting the money in the bank, okay? If something unexpected happens, and it always does, we can pause that. We have freedom to choose. I'm not going to make that car thing for a while. I'm going to take care of this thing, and then once that's done, then we can go back to saving for the car. You just have more freedom, more breathing room, less stress. I don't, and what really hurts is when you're so maxed out financially that when that unexpected thing happens, there is no more money to pay for it, and so you have to get your wallet out and pull out this little piece of plastic and swipe for it, or chip read it, I guess now is the thing, right? You have to do that, and then you're adding to your debt mess because you did no freedom. You were strapped. And again, this might be sucking the hope out of your life right now, and that's not my point. What I want to show you is that there's a better way to live, and it's, we'll talk a little bit about how maybe you can accumulate that. But if you want to get free, if you want to have financial freedom, if you want to have less financial stress in your life, the magic word is the one we've seen twice already, self-control. Self-control. We've got to have self-control. I'll tell you why. Deep inside of every one of us, myself included, and in fact, I think mine might be louder than yours, but deep inside each and every one of us, there was a little greedy five-year-old screaming, I want it now. And I don't know what your thing is that that five-year-old wants, but I know you've got a five-year-old, and I know he or she wants something. And that kid is hard to reason with. That kid is very persuasive. That kid can make you think that you need things right this minute, that you're going to die without them. You know, that kid will convince you that without new car smell in your life, life ain't worth living. That kid will convince you that you have no clothes to wear as you look at your closet full of clothes. That kid will convince you that if you don't walk out of Best Buy with that 4K HDR OLED TV today, why even, why even go home? Why even go home? It's just a shack without that beautiful TV in there, right? And if you understood all those letters that I just said, you're a tech nerd, and welcome to my, you're one of mine. 
You're my kind of people. Okay, that kid's voice will convince you of a lot of things. Now, one thing I've learned, though, is that when I, when I got married, I learned that people have different struggles when it comes to self-control. And um, I think men and women are different. I'm going to make a little overgeneralizations here. Maybe if you're uh, a lady, maybe you're not like this. If you're a guy, maybe you're not like what I'm going to say. But um, I, think, I think most of you probably fall in, if you're a lady, you fall in the camp where my wife is, where um, you're a sucker for a clearance rack. Anybody a sucker for a clearance rack? Yeah, see, guys, girls, it doesn't matter, right? You walk in, Abby, man, she comes home sometimes from Target. Target is the devil, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if, you, if you're a budget nerd, you know Target's the devil, right? Okay, she goes into Target, and it's like, hey, I bought some shoes. Why? Do you, like, there's, like, it looks like our closet threw up shoes out into our room. I can say all this because she's not here today. She's home with sick kids, so I can say whatever I want. And so, she, and I'm like, why'd you get more? Well, they were on clearance. You know, I had to get them. You know, I had no choice, right? So she'll, she'll get that or kids' clothes. Oh, man, she can't say no to kids' clothes because as soon as she sees cute clothes on the rack, her brain is already dressing our kids in them. I mean, she might as well, she's already bought them before she's even got out of the store. And so if our budget was a boat, Abby, when she goes to Target, or if you go to Target, if you've got a boat, budget boat, it's like drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat every time she goes into Target. Now, guys, we don't drill holes in the boat. We just blow up the boat. Because <laughs> you guys, guys, are they're going to be the ones, hey, honey, you're never going to believe these two Sea-Doo's I just bought. What are you going to pull them in? I'm going to go pull them with that new truck and trailer I'm going to go out and buy tomorrow. Like, that's how guys, like, we come home and we just blow the boat. Like, we, we just sign up for big old hunk and things of debt. And both are different, but, but they can both be a manifestation of us just not having much self-control. We can't say no to that five-year-old that lives deep inside of us. Now, another verse, assuming I even put it in here in my slides, right, is Proverbs 25, 28, which says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, in the ancient world, these cities kind of existed in the, like, almost as these little islands of civilization all over the countryside, and they had walls to protect them from any outside threat that would want to come in and do them harm. And it's saying that if you are a man or a woman without self-control, you're like a city without walls. You are vulnerable to every outside influence. You're the kind of person that can't say no when a commercial comes on. You're the person that is convinced as a commercial plays when you're watching the Olympics this week or whatever or the Super Bowl and they tell you that your life is miserable unless you have Doritos in it. You're like, yeah, it is. You know what? I need some Doritos. You know, when that, <coughs> excuse me, when that cola commercial is coming on and you got those bubbles, you know, fizzing and popping out of that glass, you're already halfway to the fridge before the commercial's over. You're very susceptible. The person without self-control is who infomercials were made for. Because the whole thing of an infomercial is, we want you to buy it now. Call now. Limited time only. You know, that's what an infomercial is. If you call now, not only do you get the vacuum that we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes, but we'll throw in another one for free. And then you're like, two vacuums. I could two-hand vacuum my house. <laughs> Imagine how much time I'll save. And that's the moral of the story. If you don't have self-control, you're going to be the idiot who's vacuuming two-handed throughout your house. But, but that's kind of, if you don't have self-control, that's the kind of stuff you're susceptible to every influence. You're going to want to live exactly like your friends do, even if they're making terrible choices. You're susceptible to all of that stuff without self-control. And so we, that is something that we need to think about, pray about, hope for, because it protects us to live and make decisions God's way. And here's the thing, though. If you're going to be a person with self-control, 
I just want to let you know this before you even leave the room. If you're going to be a person who lives a life of self-control, you're going to look weird to the people around you. We are not a society known for self-control. That means most people lack this. And you are going to be a weird creature. And people are going to ask you, how do you do this? Why do you do that? What is your problem? Like, why would you ever make these certain decisions? Let me give you a good example. Probably one of the best ones I've heard. A few years ago, I heard a minister named Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. He was talking about how when uh, earlier in his marriage, when they were kind of just getting started, him and his wife decided to have a spending freeze, which means if it wasn't absolutely necessary, if it wasn't the mortgage, the lights, you know, gas bill, that kind of stuff, water, they weren't going to spend money on it. I mean, I mean, no new clothes. That meant um, no new cars. They drove whatever they had and invested as little as possible because they didn't want to spend any money, and they wanted to take every ounce of money they could save and throw it at their mortgage to try to get uh, that paid off as quickly as possible. And so they were not buying a lot of the things that most of us would try or consider normal. And they took it to the absolute extreme, and they were okay with clothes, and they were okay with, you know, not getting new cars. They kind of understood that. Where they were susceptible was when little kids came to the door selling stuff, for scouts or school and that kind of thing. And, and he said his wife was just exceptionally vulnerable to the cute kid in a scout uniform or, you know, with a school handout for him. And, and so a kid came to their door one day, and he said, hey, I'm selling candy bars, two fifty dollars apiece for my school. And she went into her husband, and she said, Craig, you know, this kid's selling candy bars. They're only two fifty. And he's like, honey, we, come on, we decided this. We were going to go all out on our mortgage spending freeze. We agreed to this. She said, okay. And so she goes back to the kid. She says, I'm sorry, my cheapskate husband won't let me buy any of your candy bars. But I really want to help your school, so here's $5. Now run. And he hears this from the other room, and he's like, and he goes out, he chases the kid. And he says, hey, you owe me two candy bars. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to throw money away. It's a sp- she already gave it to him. I'm not going to take it back. I'm not a monster. But hey, that was $5. I'm at least going to get my two candy bars out of the deal. And so I thought, that's such a weird story. And most people would look at that and think, is he a monster? Like, what's his deal? Because you, you're going to look weird when you decide to not live like everybody else. Um, for instance, for, for Abby and I, that mean, one of the things, and this is one of the ways we've got out of our, that car cycle, is we have two 15-year-old cars in our driveway. One that has over, two, more, has over 200,000 miles on it, and the air doesn't work in it. But you know what's nice about it? I don't get that payment thing in the mail. Maybe it adds stability to your life, but it feels like freedom when we don't get that. And every time uh, we, we get a car, we start putting more money in the bank for the next one. And what's nice is because we drive them until they're dead, we are able to get a little bit nicer of a car the next time. And so a little bit, but, but no payments, but the next time. And we're building up to that car that we want. Um, you know, one of these days I'm going to have heated seats. One of these days I'm going to have one of those little holes in my radio where I can just plug my phone right in and listen to it everywhere. I'm going to have all that stuff. I'm going to have, have you heard, they got trucks with massagers in the seats now. I can't, I can't even imagine a truck that rubs my back. So I, I mean, I'm dreaming of a better day, okay? I'm, don't get me wrong, I want that stuff. And I'm not saying I'm not still going to be coming home with a brand new truck and have Abby yelling at me for the years of payments, but I'm going to try to have self-control. Um, another way thing that's weird is Abby and I don't really buy each other presents for things, Christmases and birthdays, and that might sound cruel and mean to you, and it's not saying that we're not going to, but we're just saying right now we've got goals that we're reaching for, and maybe that right now is not uh, 
the thing that we need to do. We try to spend a lot of time together. We do stuff for each other, just not the big uh, $400 every Christmas type of a, a thing. Um, and again, it's not because we can't, okay? I'm not saying that we're just strapped and, and scraping by or anything like that. I'm not here to guilt this church into giving me a raise. I won't say no, but I'm not here to guilt the church into giving me a raise. But let me just say, it's not because we can't, it's because we are saying no to certain things now so that we can say yes to something better. And that's exactly what self-control is all about. Self-control is saying no to one thing so that you can say yes to something better. Self-control is not no, 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 no. That's what it feels like in the moment. That's why we stink at diets. That's why we stink at New Year's resolutions, because we're saying no in the moment, and we can't think about what's in the future. But that's what real self-control is. It's you saying no to something right now while picturing that better future that you want for yourself. Self-control, it's saying no to that second helping of food so that you can lose weight and be healthier. Self-control, it's saying no to that beautiful, glorious truck with massagers in it and getting something less so that you can escape the cycle of payments. Self-control is saying no to maybe getting a $4 cup of coffee on the way to work every day so that you can actually, you know, maybe save up for Christmas and not have to put everything on your credit card at 12% interest and then spend till June paying it off. And so the question I want you to ask yourself, since self-control is not just saying no, it's saying yes to something better, what do you want to say yes to? That's where your mind has to be. If you want to be somebody who has self-control, you've got to wonder, what do I need to say yes to? And this is where it gets, or where the spiritual component about this comes in. Because a lot of us, we can't serve God and obey God and have the freedom to do what maybe sometimes we feel God's tugging on our heart to do because we're just too tied up, we're too chained up by our lack of wiggle room in our finances. So maybe, like I said earlier, maybe you want to help people. Maybe around that, that Christmas, Thanksgiving time, you hear needs for all kinds of stuff. And you think, I wish I could help. I wish I could, you know, maybe support a kid from Uganda or, or support a kid through Compassion International or whatever it is. But I just can't even get the 35 extra dollars a month. There's just no room. Maybe that's something you want to say yes to in the future. And so you're going to start living different now to make that possible. Maybe you want to say yes to not being bogged down with money fights with your spouse all the time. It's the number one cause of divorce is fights about money and money problems. Maybe you want to say yes to saving for retirement so you don't have to sit here and worry about what it's going to look like one day. Maybe you want to say yes to going on a mission trip. Maybe you say, I want to go to the other side of the world and see what God's doing there. I want God to blow up my perspective so that I can understand how big his mission is for, the, for saving people in our great world, but I just can't ever think about even affording it. Maybe you want to be somebody whose l mindset is less on your stuff and more on the God who blesses us with stuff. And I know this topic, you know, it's so funny. For this topic that m so many of us don't consider spiritual, it sure is sensitive. And I can, I can tell, because every time I get up here and, and talk about this stuff, yeah, you can, I can tell a few jokes and people will smile at that stuff, but there's a lot more people in the room that cross their arms about halfway through the sermon, you know. And, it's, and I understand that, and I, I've, I, it, it feels personal, and I'm not saying anybody's dumb or an idiot or anything like that. I hope that's not what's conveyed. All I'm saying is that God is wiser than us. So even our best idea is less than God's best idea. And I just want us to be open to what maybe he has to say to us and how he wants us to live. And so one of the things I think he's trying to show us is that financial stress is bad. Living at the brink of disaster is not where we want to live. And living beyond our means of incurring debt upon debt upon debt, it might be normal in our society, but according to God, that's a slavery. That's, that's a slave mindset. And it's maybe time for us 
to break free of that. Maybe it's time for us to have self-control and say no to certain things that everybody else is saying yes to so that we can say yes to the stuff that nobody else gets to enjoy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful as we come to discuss a very sensitive topic like finances. It's, it's a difficult thing to discuss because um, many of us, we start off just making maybe not the best choices because we, we live in a way that is similar to what everybody else is doing. And you don't call us to that. You don't call us to be cookie-cutter carbon copies of, of our culture. You call us to be people who are guided by your word, your powerful, unchanging word. And so I pray that, that as you have given us these principles so long ago, and they have been timeless. I mean, the, the verses we looked at today, Father, were thousands of, they're thousands of years old from where we stand in human history. And they're so practical and so relevant to who we are. So I pray that we would be people who understand that you have something better for us than endless debt, and that we would be people who value self-control, and that we see the danger of not having self-control. And if that means living differently and looking weird, then I pray that we would have the courage and the, the eagerness to do that so that we can honor you more with our lives, so we can have more freedom and flexibility to follow the road you've laid before us. We can help more people. We can give to more things that matter. We can follow the, the road that you want to lead us on if it leads us out of the country to help people for a while or, or just bless somebody that's right here on our own church congregation who's going through a difficult time. I just pray that we would have the freedom to do that. And that's going to require self-control and being willing to look a little different. And so I pray that we don't neglect the spiritual side of our finances because it's very spiritual. Because sometimes we chain ourselves into a place where we, we can't have obey. We don't have the option to obey anymore because we've tied ourselves up too much. And I pray that we would crave freedom. Freedom not just from stress, but freedom to do all that you've called us to. Thank you again for this topic. As difficult as it might be, I, I pray that you would, you would put the, a taste for freedom in our hearts so that we would crave it more and more each day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.